All right, I encourage you to grab a Bible and turn to Matthew chapter 20. Matthew chapter 20, yes, I know on your bulletin it says Matthew chapter 12, uh, but today we're doing Matthew 20. We printed those bulletins out two weeks ago, and two weeks ago I was planning on doing Matthew 12, but uh, after kind of working it about two and a half days this week, it's like, nope, we're doing Matthew chapter 20, so that's what we're doing. So it's just like a, an extra little word of God for you that you can take home and read there. So a lot of good stuff in Matthew 12, but we're going Matthew 20 uh, this morning. So if it's your first time, just want to say welcome. Just like Dan said earlier, just encourage you to, uh, to fill out a little connect card just a way for you to kind of make your presence known and a way for us to come alongside and, and serve you in any way we can. We've been working through this summer, the fruit of the Spirit. So what we're doing as we're taking uh, Galatians chapter 5, the, the nine fruits of the Spirit, or fruit of the Spirit, not fruits, not fruit of the Spirit, and just kind of taking one each week and kind of looking at the life of Jesus. So we're looking at possibly like a story of Jesus that kind of explains and maybe put a little bit more flesh on this fruit, or we're looking at a specific teaching uh, about Jesus that kind of lays this fruit out. Now, the difficulty of, um, of kind of working through the fruit of the Spirit like that is because they're one, they're, they're whole. And so when you, when you take one out and try to focus in on it, you, they all kind of overlap. And so you kind of felt that even in the, when they're trying to define what goodness is, you, you kind of heard kindness and patience and compassion. And when all those kind of bleed in together, it's like, well, they're all one. You know, as you grow in one aspect of the fruit, you're kind of growing in all of them. You know what I'm saying? So if you grow in goodness, you're also going to be growing in love. You grow in, you know, gentleness. You're also going to be growing in patience because it's, it's one. It's not so individual. And so, yeah, there's, there's some difficulty here, but that's what we're trying to do. Just kind of take one, look at it, and bring some light onto it. And so we're going to look at a story, all right, that at first when you read it, you're going to go, where do you get goodness in this? And it might be a story that that kind of makes you a little angry, which is, it's okay. It's okay to be a little angry, all right? So, and if you get a little angry, you can, you can just jump in with your anger, amen? So, but I love this. It's one of my uh, favorite parables. I've actually never preached out of this parable, so this is the first time I've ever preached out of it, and I'm probably coming back to it periodically because this is a great, uh, great story. So if you've got it, Matthew chapter 20, I encourage you to stand with me in honor of reading God's word. So hear the word of the Lord. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire men to work in his vineyard. And he agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. And about the third hour, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. And he told them, you also go and work in my vineyard and I will pay you whatever is right. And so they went. He went out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour and did the same thing. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day doing nothing? And because no one has hired us, they answered. And he said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. And when the evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to the foreman, now call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired going on to the first. And the workers who were hired about the 11th hour came and each received a denarius. So when those who, who came who were hired first, they expected to receive more, but each one of them also received a denarius. And when they received this, they, they began to grumble against the landowner. And these men who had hired last worked only one hour, they said. And you've, you've made them equal to us who have, been, who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, friend, 
Am I I not being unfair to you? Didn't you agree to work for Daenerys? Take your pay and go. I want to give the man who has hired last the same as I gave you. Don't Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? And so the last will be first, and the first will be last. And all of God's people said, that's not fair, right? (laughs) Or maybe all of the children said that. Us adults, we are way more mature than that, amen? (laughs) It's like, that's not fair! But uh, this is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for your word. Man, what a a beautiful gift it is to us. Um, It kind of rocks our world, and at times it really surprises us, Lord. And I just pray that a story like this, like we won't, you know, get lost in the details, but Lord, just help us to see what you're truly trying to speak to us this morning, especially in the area of goodness. And we ask all these things in your precious name. Amen. You may be seated. So a lot of you may be wondering, like, where in the world do you see goodness in Matthew chapter 20? I mean, look, look you know, maybe I should have stuck with chapter 12, because if you look at Matthew chapter 12, at least the word good is in that text. The word goodness is not even found there in Matthew 20. And so like, like, just okay, just kind of bear with me here and kind of work with me. So let's say that, you know, as you walked in this morning, I ask you, like, define for me what it means to be a good Christian. You know, define for me, give me a picture of what it means to be a good Christian. And I'm sure we'd get all kinds of answers, just like we got on the video when they tried to define goodness. Some of you would come in here, depending on your tradition, your background, you may say, you know, a good Christian is someone who doesn't use foul language, doesn't watch rated R movies, doesn't listen to secular music. They don't smoke or drink or date those that do, right? That's kind of like how I remembered back in my tradition. Or maybe you would say something along the lines, a good Christian is someone who's honest, who's consistent. They're not hypocrites. What they are in public is also what they are in private. Maybe you would say a good Christian is someone who is just nice. They're a nice, kind person. Or maybe you would say a good Christian, you know, this would be maybe the super spiritual answer is just someone who's like Jesus. Amen? And so, so here's the thing. All right, you can humor me and laugh a little bit, but here's the thing. Like all of those kind of have some truth to them. You know, some of those have a way of defining goodness and, and we're okay with that. But my, my desire here this morning is, is to take a story to give you kind of like a, a vision of what goodness is so that we're not just walking away with a definition, but we're actually walking away with a picture that hopefully throughout this week you can think on, meditate on, and actually I would encourage you to take this little parable and read it once a day for the entire week because I promise you the Spirit of God will give you insight and implications and things that we are not even be able to kind of draw out this morning in 30 minutes. But I want to give us kind of a vision, like a, a story of what goodness looks like. And I think it is embedded in one of the most controversial parables, so to speak, that stirs up all kinds of weird emotions. And we sort of get angry with this and we pound our fists and say, that's not fair. Why did they do that? And I think there's a hidden gem here that talks about the goodness of God and what it looks like for us to, to live out this goodness. And so let's start off here in verse one. I'm just going to kind of work back through the parable and kind of point out some highlights here so that we're all 
kind of on the same page of what Jesus is trying to do here. So, so Jesus often taught in parables. He often taught in stories. Sometimes he taught in parables to kind of help people understand something spiritual. And sometimes he taught in parables in order to make people confused. I hope you Hope you get that. I think it's kind of funny when people say, hey, we should teach like Jesus taught. You know, he taught in parables and we should do the same thing. Well, sometimes he taught in parables to keep people in the dark. And it's kind of weird, but that's what Jesus did. It's why all the disciples would go and say, hey, what did you mean when you taught? Like, I have no clue what you're talking about. Well, this one, even though it stirs up a lot of emotion, I think we can kind of get what Jesus is after here. And normally what he would do, he would talk about the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. The kingdom of heaven is, a, is the language that Matthew used. The kingdom of God is more the language that, that Luke used, but they're the synonymous, they're the same thing. And so Jesus would often teach stories and parables to help us understand what does life under God's reign and rule feel like? What does it look like? What's it gonna be like? And usually these stories are very surprising. Usually they're, they're really things that you wouldn't expect. And it's like, I don't know if I would do that if I was the king over a kingdom. And we see that in this story here. So if you pick it up in the second half of verse one, for the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner. So this is a made up story that Jesus lays out before us. Who went out early in the morning to hire men to work in his vineyard. And now that sounds kind of weird. We probably wouldn't do that, but that's the normal way of which they did work in that time of day. And so he agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. And so a work day in this time was a 12-hour work day. Started at 6 o'clock in the morning and ended at 6 in the evening. And denarius was kind of a, a day's wage. It's a, that's kind of the going rate for people to get paid in this time. And so when the landowner goes out early in the morning, he's just saying he went out at six o'clock in the morning, got a group of men, a group of workers there to go work in his vineyard. Now, the unique thing about this parable is this landowner keeps doing this throughout the entire day. So look what he says here in verse three. So about the third hour, which was nine in the morning, about third hour, he went out again, saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. And he said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. And notice the difference here. So the, the, the 6 a.m. workers, he said, I'm going to pay you a day's wage. But look what he says here. I'll pay you whatever is right. And so these men, they went and went out and, and did his vineyard and then goes on six hour, which is at noon. The landowner goes out again. He goes out at the ninth hour, which is at 3 p.m. And he did the same thing. And he went out the 11th hour, which is at 5 p.m. And so how long of a work day do they have for those people that started working at 5? They have, say it out loud, one hour. Yeah. And so he went out and still found others standing there. And he asked him, why have you been standing here all along doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. And he said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. And so let's just kind of state the obvious so they're all on the same page. So there's some people that are in the vineyard that are working 12 hours. That's a long day. I done any tobacco stuff. My brother did that a little bit. And dude, he would come back wore out. He'd be sweaty, nasty. Sometimes he vomited. He'd, he'd smell a little bit of that because it's just hard work working out. Anybody worked in a tobacco field, man? Anybody with me? Yes, man, hard. Like, I don't know if I experienced, but I watched him, right? He came in. He looked really exhausted. So there's some people that have worked 12-hour days. Some people have worked a nine-hour day. Some people worked a six-hour day. Some people worked a three-hour day. And you got others in the mix who worked one hour. And all of us want that, right? It's like, yeah, one hour. I love that. And then what, look what happens here. So he goes and gets all the workers. They're all working different hours. And he begins to pay them. And look at the detail that Jesus adds to the story that brings some tension and ah, 
Weird feelings. Verse 8. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to the foreman, Now call the workers and pay their wages. And here's the detail. Beginning with the last ones hired to the first. If you'd just done the first ones, there would have not been any problems. And the parable would have been kind of boring, right? It's like, I'm kind of thankful that Jesus did it like this. So this is what happened. So they, they gather the workers together, and the workers who were hired about the 11th hour, which means they worked for one hour, they each received a day's wage. So look, think about this. If you're, if you're in the back of the line, right? If you're one of those that work nine hours, one of those that work 12 hours, and you're looking in the front, and man, the dude who got paid an hour, like worked an hour, is getting a day's wage. Like, what are you expecting, right? What do you, what do you think's coming to you? He got a little bonus. I'm probably going to get a little bonus too, right? It's like, he got a little more than he was expecting. I'm going to get more than what I'm expecting. Let's go on here. Look at verse 10. So when, when those came who were hired first, who worked a 12-hour day, they expected to receive more. Of course they would, right? But each one of them also received a denarius, a day's wage. And when they received it, they began to grumble. We would have never done that, right? We would have grumbled. We'd be so thankful. Thank you so much, right? Well, hopefully I would have grumbled, all right? So I'm just kind of like confessing here. I would have grumbled. Against the landowner, in verse 12, these men who were hired last worked only one hour. And you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But the landlord answered one of them, friend, Am I not being unfair to you? Didn't you agree to work for Daenerys? Basically, what he's just saying here is, look, look, this is what you agreed to work for. Like, I'm not treating you unfairly. I'm not underpaying you. When I went out and sought you out at 6 o'clock in the morning, so I'm going to pay you a day's wage. And that's what I'm doing. I'm paying you a day's wage. But even with that explanation, most of us in this room are bothered by that. Why? Because we don't think it's fair, right? We think fairness is where everyone gets treated the same. And so if if the dude that worked an hour got a little bonus, he got a massive reward, shouldn't I, who worked 12 hours, get a little bonus, get a little reward for that? I mean, that's kind of what I deserve. That's treating me fairly, right? Look what the landowner says there in verse 14. Take your pay and go. I want. I don't have to. I'm not obligated to, but I want I want to give the man who was hired last the same as I gave you. And don't I have the right to do that with my own money? Or, and here's the phrase, or are you envious because I am generous? You see, sometimes I feel like we lose or kind of miss what Jesus is trying to get after in this story because we get all fired up about it, right? We just... Like our emotions get so ignited in a story like this, if we're just trying to be real honest and read it plainly, that we miss what Jesus is trying to say to us. So look, Jesus is not saying this, that there's not a place for kind of like degrees of rewards. So, so those that are in Christ, you are going to face judgment, not judgment for your sin, because that judgment has been put on Jesus in full, but you're going to be judged for your good works and you're going to be rewarded for those. And so Jesus is not teaching in this place that like everybody's going to be rewarded the same. No, no, there's other places where Jesus talks there's going to be degrees of rewards and we're going to be thankful for whatever we get. So he's not saying it's kind of a flat line, so to speak, nor is he trying to establish some kind of standard here by which we're supposed to, you know, treat our employees if we're an employer, or, you know, or how, we're, how do we pay them? No, what, 
What Jesus is trying to do in this story is to teach us something about the nature and the character of the kingdom of heaven. Remember, verse one, the kingdom of heaven is like dot, 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 a landowner. So he's trying to teach us something about the nature and the character of this kingdom. And so if he's teaching us something about the nature and the character of this kingdom, he's also teaching us something about the king. You follow me? So whatever, whatever's in the kingdom is a reflection of the king. And who is the king of the kingdom of heaven? Jesus. So what we see in this story here is Jesus is teaching us something about the nature and the character of himself and how he rules and reigns. As well as, and this is where some of you are going, it's like, okay, but we're teaching on the fruit of the Spirit. Don't forget that, Lyle, right? Where is goodness in this? Where do you see this idea of goodness? Make the connections. What are we learning about Jesus? And then how in the world does this have anything to do with goodness? Well, the very last phrase in verse 14 that I kind of emphasize, the word that is used for generous is the same word that's used for goodness and the fruit of the Spirit. So, like another way that you can say this Are you envious because I am good? Are you envious because I wanted the the dudes or the men, whatever, that's kind of weird language, right? The men who worked one hour to experience my goodness. That's what he's saying here. Are you envious because I wanted this group of people to experience my generosity, my goodness? I got like, I don't know about you, man, but when I, when, I, when I hear this, this changes everything for me, right? When I think about goodness, this story radically changes everything for me and kind of blows up a lot of ideas of what it means to be good. Because when we think about it, if we're just kind of honest, when we think about like, what, what does it mean to be a good person, a good husband, a good, good wife, a good student, whatever it is, usually it has to do with rules. Like if someone obeys the standards the rules, and that is a good person. And we learn this really early, don't we? Right? When we, when we say, hey, he's such a good little boy and a good little girl. What do we mean by that? That they did what mom and dad said, or they obeyed the teacher, or whatever it is. Sometimes we'll say things like, you know, that's such a good little baby. And what do we mean by that? It's like, usually that means they don't cry. And I just don't really get that, to be real honest with you. It's like, thought that's what babies do, right? If they don't cry, it may mean there's something wrong, but another story in and of itself. But here's, here's what I'm trying to say is that usually goodness is connected to performance. If I perform well, then I'm a good person. And I, look, I'm not fully discounting all that. All I'm trying to say here is that what Paul is after in the fruit of the Spirit and what Jesus is after here is not that. Because, I mean, you can kind of make an argument that following rules, you don't need the supernatural empowering of the Holy Spirit to follow rules. That's how we're going to define what a good person is. Because if you look in the New Testament, the religious leaders of this time were good rule followers. Really good at it. But Jesus over and over says, no, 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 no. These guys are not good. They are white washed tombs. There's evil and death that resides within their own hearts. And so look, look, the kind of goodness 
that is the fruit of the Spirit and the kind of goodness that is being put on display in the story is a goodness that extends compassion and kindness and generosity beyond what someone expects or beyond what they deserve. Are you following me? The goodness that Paul is talking about in the fruit of the Spirit that's being put on display in this text is a goodness that extends compassion, kindness, patience, generosity beyond what someone would ever expect or deserve. I mean, just think about the story, guys. Look, the owner chooses to be good. The owner chooses to be generous whether, rather than strictly fair. The owner didn't go, well, okay, I'm going to ration this out. So if I'm going to pay a day's wage to the 12-hour dude, i got to figure out how I'm going to get down to the one-hour guy. Now, that's not what the owner does. The owner wants these people to experience his goodness. So goodness is not treating someone fairly. Goodness is not treating someone how they deserve to be treated. Goodness is extending and treating someone, look, look, with generosity. And look, when I think about generosity, I'm not talking about money. It's so much more than just generous with you. I'm talking about generous with your spirit, generous with your compassion, generous with your patience, generous with your love. Are you following me? That, that's what goodness is. That I'm extending this beyond what someone deserves or expects. I mean, I could be wrong here. I didn't do a whole lot of study in this little area this week, all right? So if I find myself wrong, I'll come back and repent, all right? But it, it'll be really hard for you to find anywhere in the Bible where it says God is fair. And I don't know about you, I'm thankful he's not. We don't want God to be fair. We want God to be good. To extend his kindness, his compassion, his patience, his love beyond what we would ever expect or what we deserve. Because look, if you, if you are here and you have a heartbeat, which means you do, right? You're experiencing the goodness of God. And if you don't, like if you don't agree with me in that area, I, okay, we can have a conversation later, but I just encourage you to do this. Spend some time reflecting, reflecting upon your own self, your own motives, the things that you do and, and why you do them. We, we do so much with such mixed, tainted motives. A lot of what good that we do in this world has at its heart a self-driven motive. It just wants to glorify me. Like, man, if we're just kind of like spending some time reflecting on what's really going on in our interior world, you would see that, man, you don't deserve to be alive, especially in comparison to a holy God who does all things with a pure heart. Like you having a heartbeat right now, no matter if you're a Christian or not a Christian, you're experiencing the goodness of God. 
You got up this morning and you didn't even think about what you're going to eat other than like the choices you had, right? Just open up a cupboard or refrigerator and you had a meal. Experiencing the goodness of God. If you're here and, and you've got a job that you sort of enjoy, right? You feel fulfillment in. I mean, goodness, guys, that's, that's a gift. 50, 60 years ago, you, like, you just wanted to get food on the table, right? It didn't matter if your job was fulfilling or not. Who gives a rip? I got a family to feed, right? What a, what a, what a way that we are experiencing the goodness of God today by having jobs that some of us feel really fulfilled in and enjoy. That's a goodness that God has given to us that none of us in this room, including myself, deserve. If you're in your 60s, 70s, 80s, and you're experiencing the goodness of God there. I mean, goodness gracious, over just a hundred years ago, the life expectancy of someone was in their mid-40s. I mean, I would be a senior citizen back then, right? I can go to McDonald's, get the senior citizen discount back in that time. They, well, they didn't have McDonald's about a hundred years ago, so but you know, you follow me, but that's the advancement of medicine to where the extension of life is a possibility is a gift. It's the goodness of God, it's something that we don't deserve. Look, we don't want God to be fair. We want him to be good. One of my favorite passages in Psalm 103, verse 10, I encourage you to even take that home this week and meditate on that whole chapter. Verse 10, he says this, God does not punish us for our sins because he punished those who are in Christ, their sins fully on Jesus, he doesn't punish us for all our sins and he does not deal harshly with us as we deserve. We are a recipient. All of us in this room are a recipient and experience the goodness of God, the generosity of God where he extends compassion, love, kindness, patience, grace, to those who don't deserve it. One story I really love that kind of shows this in Jesus' life is the one uh, in chapter 21 of John. I love that story. And, and if you're unfamiliar with it, it's just it's the, it's the interaction that he has with Peter. So, so Jesus has shown up to the disciples three times. This is his third one. And it's interesting how John ends his book with that. And, and obviously I think it's done on purpose because the last time that Jesus and and Peter had a conversation is when Jesus tells Peter, you're going to deny me. So Peter, you're, you're going to deny me three times. And, and Peter's like a lot of us in this room. We kind of overestimate our spiritual maturity. Amen. You know what I'm talking about? You ever done that? And, and that's Peter. You know, it's like, oh, it's not me. That's, that's these goofballs, these 10 other guys. They'll deny you, but I'll die, right? I'm strong. I'm Peter. You called me a rock one time, right? I'm strong. I, I, you know, I'm not going to deny you. And then sure enough, three times, three times. And the gospel writers tell us that the last time Jesus looked Peter right in the eyes. You ever wondered how God, or, or better yet, Jesus treats you when you fail? You ever wonder like what, what, what Jesus would say to you right after you really blew it? 
right after you looked at porn, right after you lost your temper with your wife, husband, your kids, right after dropping that F-bomb and somebody cut you off at work. You ever wonder how Jesus would treat you if you come with humbleness of heart and broken spirit and repentant? That's why I love this passage because it shows us there in chapter 21. Because the disciples are still kind of all confused on what's going on with this whole resurrection thing. And whenever guys are confused, they don't know what to do. They just go to work, right? And so that's what these guys did. They, they went back to work. They're out there fishing. And so Jesus comes on the shore and they don't know. They, don't, they can't see him there. It's probably foggy or maybe they're farsighted or whatever or nearsighted. And they just couldn't see who it was. But all of a sudden Jesus yells out to him and says, hey, how's the fishing going? And this is like, they've been doing this all night long. They hadn't caught a single thing. So if you're a fisherman, you know, it's kind of frustrating. And so Jesus said, hey, cast her now on the other side. And they do that and they get over 150 fish. And as soon as that happened, Peter knew who it was. So he puts a cloak on, which is kind of weird. It's like having swimming trunks on and deciding to put your jeans on and jump in the water, right? That's just kind of like, why would you do that? But he put his cloak on, dived in the water. And there's Jesus. Look, look, these are the details that John puts in there. He's got a charcoal fire. You know, the last time that Peter was before a charcoal fire is when he denied Jesus. It's the last time Peter was at a charcoal fire. And Jesus has got that bill. Why? Why is he doing that? He asked Peter to sit down and have breakfast with him. And not once, not once did he say, I told you so. I knew you'd blow it. I knew you'd fail. Now he just looked at Jesus, I mean, at Peter, and just said, hey, Peter, do you love me? He didn't ask, hey, are you sorry? Hey, do you love me? Do you love me? Three times he said that. See, Peter is experiencing the goodness of Jesus. Peter's not getting what is fair, and Peter's not getting what he deserves. He's experiencing the goodness of Jesus because goodness means you, you fix breakfast for your friend who betrayed you. That's goodness. So let me ask you, because like, remember all these fruits of the Spirit are in the context of relationships, right? That's the, the, the book Galatians is written to a church. It's, it's to be lived out. Like, man, I can be really patient if I don't have to deal with anybody, amen? If I didn't have kids or spouse or any, just, I just live in a bubble, man, I'm awesome at patience, right? And so it is with goodness, this is to be experienced in the context of relationships. And so look, look, I think it, it's a good thing for us to ask, who are we trying to be fair with today? Who are, are we trying to get back at? Who are we wanting to make sure they get what they deserve? So what might generosity 
What might goodness, same idea, look like instead? So I want you to go home, like, look at this chapter every day for a week. So, okay, God, show me the goodness of Jesus Christ because the more I meditate on the goodness of Jesus Christ, the more of it gets in my own heart and life and that oozes out. You know what I'm saying? Like, if you're in Christ, if you're a Christ follower here, it's not go out here and do better. Be a better person. No, no. Stop. Reflect. Think on Jesus. Think on his goodness. Take a story like this and let the Spirit of God put on display the goodness of Christ. Think about how he's been good to you. And as that is deep in you, guess what? That's what's going to start oozing out of you, you'll start extending patience and kindness and love and compassion beyond what someone deserves or even what they expect. A few weeks ago, I shared with you guys the story of how I kind of blew our anniversary, our 22 year anniversary. And if you didn't hear that story, you can listen to the sermon three weeks ago. It's kind of at the, toward the end of it, but summation. Um, that, that message was on peace, and I just talked about some of my own internal stuff of just like, I want peace at all costs. And there's times when, you know, there's a temptation to withhold information in order to just kind of keep peace. And I kind of chose to do that with Kathy, and it was very hurtful. And so, um, yeah, it was repented, and Kathy was very forgiving and kind to that. But the rest of the day was just weird. It just was. It's like, you just don't go like, oh, now let's celebrate, right? It's just like, okay, well, this is going to be a a weird 22, amen? But that's okay. That, that, that's kind of marriage. But I didn't tell you the whole story because it didn't kind of fit into the whole deal. But later that night when we were getting ready for bed, and I promise this is PG, it's nothing weird there going on. But <laughs> getting ready and I'm getting, I sit down, I'm getting ready to lay down. And on my pillow, man, on my pillow is a card. Is a card. And it said, good looking, which is what she calls me. So, which is very kind. <laughs> and honestly, I didn't want a card, right? That's the last thing I wanted. It's not what I deserved. I didn't deserve her to be gracious and kind, compassionate to me and give me a card. Like, don't do that, right? You know? But in that moment, I experienced the goodness of my wife, didn't I? She extended compassion and kindness and love beyond what I deserved or even what I expected. And that's, that's in the context of a human horizontal relationship. And here's what you got to do. You got to make the connection, right? How much more? How much more? Is that how our Heavenly Father treats us through His Son, Jesus? How much more goodness do we experience from our Heavenly Father through His Son, Jesus? So look, here, here's all I'm trying to say this morning. If you're Christian here, 
My desire for you is not to walk out here and feel like, oh, I've got to muster up some kind of, you know, more energy to be a good person. No, I just, my prayer for you is that you would reflect and think about the goodness of Jesus Christ and how you've experienced that. And then may that empower you to extend that goodness to someone. And with a room this size, I'm sure the Spirit of God is bringing somebody to mind. Not, look, not everybody in this room has got awesome human relationships 24-7, right? All of us have a place where we can kind of extend this goodness to someone else. Who is that? And ask the Spirit of God, all right, show me how I can do that. If you're not a Christian here, like, please hear me. The call of this message is not for you to go out here and be good. Like, that doesn't do you any good. <laughs> it doesn't. The call for you is like, remember, this is the fruit of the Spirit. You can't get this. You can't manufacture this. This is the fruit of the Spirit. And so my call to you is not to go out and be good, but look to the one who is truly good, the one that he calls himself in John chapter 10, the, the good shepherd, the one who laid down his life for you, the, the greatest act of goodness of all mankind, of all history. Go to him, look to him, put your faith and trust in him. That's your call. And then the Holy Spirit comes in your life in fullness, and guess what? All the fruits of the Spirit are there, all of them. And now it's the Holy Spirit's job to begin to work those out. You follow me? Like, you know what? You're not earning this. You're not going, no, no, you've got it all in you. That's the beautiful work of the Spirit. And now, like, this is what he's doing. And he's, he's helping you become human. He's helping you become as life is meant to be lived. This is how it's supposed to be. To be a humanity that naturally extends this kind of goodness. What a beautiful place to live. That's life in the kingdom. And someday in the new heavens and the new earth, this is how we will live. But now we have an opportunity, right? To give people a taste of that in the here and now. And you cannot do that apart from Jesus Christ. This fruit is cultivated and, and grows in the connection and relationship with Jesus Christ. So if you're not a Christian here, guys, look, listen to me. Don't, don't go out here and try to be good. No, no. Go out here and reflect and think and put your faith and trust in Jesus. Let's pray.